Brown says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome to what I imagine will be a number of wary supporters this week. Um, I'm John, aka Forty Twenty, and joining me as always is my good mate Sixties. How you doing, champ? Mate, not too great after last night. Let's no, well, I was I was going to make a joke about the intro to this being, you know, what a shock the um, NRL's been cancelled this week. Who would have um, seen that coming? But unfortunately, it wasn't cancelled, and as it stands, Parramatta uh, not just embarrassed but humiliated. Well, when you were talking about the intro. I was going to say it was definitely South last night that was saying, get that India, big boy. Yeah, they are. Because um, they were the ones that delivered the play yeah. to us in a massive way. And let's just foreshadow that in this pod today, we're going to be talking about what went wrong and we're not going to avoid looking at things like what can be done in the way of changes. Uh, we won't shy away from the questions that need to be asked. So anyone that's joining in and thinking, we're going to be sugarcoating anything. There's no sugarcoating coming up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We will say it as we see it. So speaking of no sugarcoating, let's get the uh, medicine on the spoon and down the throat. South Sydney 38, Parramatta 0. Um, obviously played at Bank West last night, 7.50pm kickoff. Uh, the try scorer sheet is um pretty long. So Corey Owen, Jackson Paulo, Cody Walker, Jaden Sewer, Campbell Graham, Adam Reynolds and a second Campbell Graham try at the death or rather at the 70th minute um, rounds out the seven try scorers. Uh, Adam Reynolds wasn't perfect from the kicking tee for once, five from seven. Actually, um, shanked one just to the right of his um the uprights, which was a you know a boon for us. Saves the um forty burger. And do you know I would have called for another kick again because <laughs> the Eels players were yeah, off well, the line and walking towards him as, as he was kicking that goal. One of the so, um, one of the things that they do not police it feels like in the NRL because Parramatta yep. obviously had that happen to them where they've had taken shots at goal where it could have been uh, re-kicked on the you know premise of that uh, official rule. Um, as for the actual team stats, as you'd expect, given it was thirty-eight nil, South Sydney dominated possession fifty-five percent to forty-five percent. Um, they were up exactly six minutes in time of possession, 32-58. The Parramatta's 26-58. Uh, they completed at 13% uh, 13% points better than Parramatta. 39 from 47 sets for 83% completion rate. Parramatta, Parramatta down at 70%, 26 from 37. Uh, they dominated the runs with uh, about 50 more runs than Parramatta. Dominated the meterage with about uh, 500, nearly 600 more meters. Uh, not that far ahead in post-contact meters, weirdly as it were. Uh, line breaks, this one varies from Fox Sports because I think Fox Sports had it 11 to 2 on the coverage, but NRL.com's got it at 10 to 0. Tackle breaks, 41 to 19. Uh, set distances were very uh, similar, but uh, that wasn't a, <laughs> a huge mitigating factor. Uh, here's a weird one Parramatta win the play the ball speed for the first time in 2020. 3.3 seconds to 3.77 seconds. So we've got to stop winning the play the ball speed, mate. <laughs> Does not well, bode well I for us. I think what you saw there was that we got called for a, a number of probably valid uh, six agains. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think that I think that matched in with a team that was laying all over the opposition in an attempt to stem the flow of points. So, yeah, and, I uh, can't argue with that there. Another misnomer between the two counting stats, uh, NRL.com has us down for 41 missed tackles, whereas Fox Sports had us with 48 with a couple of minutes to go. So I wouldn't be surprised if on their counting stats, we um, cracked the, the uh, scary half ton for missed tackles. Uh, as didn't it were, one of the, didn't one of the uh, broadcasters have, to have us down for something like 57 missed tackles. Well, that that's what I imagine would have been Fox sports then because they had us at 48 with a fair bit of time left in the game. Whereas NRL.com's obviously been a little bit more generous on us. Uh, shockingly, the effective tackle rates were fairly close. 87.4% for Parramatta and 88.3% for South Sydney. Uh, negative plays, we had more errors in South Sydney, 12-8. to eight. We conceded more penalties, 4-2. to two. Uh, Six agains or set restarts were quite close with South Sydney getting the win, 5-4 to four there. And yeah, um, in the individual stats, uh, a couple of eels in the um, limelight for the right reasons. Reed Money topped the tackle count, 51 tackles over Damian Cook's 41, which is not surprising given the possession differential. And Quentin Gufton edged out Corey Owen 196 metres to 195. But beyond that, it was there's not much to talk about. Um, you know, looking at the 
I suppose, silver lining uh, outside of Gufferson. Three other members of the back line got up in the high hundreds for Meteridge. Uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard was solid. Uh, Maddo was solid. Nathan Brown had another decent game, and that was about it. It was uh, that sort of night at the office. Yeah. Yeah. So let's... Can we break it down a little bit now? I'd like to start off with headspace because at the game, it may well have translated onto uh, the television screens. I'm not too sure. I haven't watched the replay. Again, this is one of those matches where I saw enough live at the ground for me to make these calls. But right from the start, I turned to the others that I was with last night and I said, this doesn't look good. And it really didn't. I thought our our body language wasn't what it should be. I thought there was a lack of intensity. Uh, obviously, as the game evolved in, the, in that first half, there was a complete lack of patience. Players just weren't on the same page. And I have to put that down to the headspace because it was right across the whole team. We're going to talk about individual performances to an extent, but we have to level some blame at the entire team for yeah, simply not turning up. Obviously, we can. there are a couple of individuals that will be singled out because I imagine there'll be a lot of fans calling for blood in terms of selections, understandably, because there were a couple of you know Barry Crockers out there. But yeah, headspace-wise, this has just been brewing, hasn't it? Um, I, I thought our first two sets were fine. We actually had the ascendancy through the middle. And then as soon as we made that error going wide to the right, we just dropped our load, just dropped the bundle. South Sydney score untouched down our uh, right edge and we just went into a hole. And unfortunately, you, sorry, you were going to say? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, you've absolutely nailed the very moment that I turned to the others and I said, this isn't good when we when we dropped that ball on that shift and then immediately we looked like we weren't going to defend the error. And this is before they scored. I just said, this isn't good. Yeah, and it's funny because I was watching the game with a, a dyed-in-the-wall South Sydney fan who's a good mate of mine, a good mate of mine, and he was the opposite for the first two sets. He was panicking. It's like, oh man, Parramatta coming out real fast and hard. And then he, I was like, don't, I'm not counting my chickens, mate, because we're just as likely to make an error and, you know, cough up the ball and, and give away cheap points. And then, you know, I sort of put the mockers on us, didn't I? Because lo and behold, next set, uh, we, we turn the ball over and then they go over untouched down the right. So yeah. this is, I mean, we've wrote, uh, written about it on TCT. We've spoken about it in the podcast to an extent. This has been there for the better part of two months now. And I thought we turned the corner twice against Cronulla in tough conditions and then against Melbourne where uh, offensively I thought we, we signaled better intent and defensively we really rallied and especially that right edge sort of looked to have found itself. And yet here we are one week later and God, we're, it's, it's kind of like we're looking at not scorched earth, but we're back to square one, aren't we? Yes. And just on that point, when we talk about this has been a result which has been coming, in the previous weeks, the big match intensity hasn't been there. Now, that's understandable in a long season. You you can't be up for games all season long. And, and I wasn't... I, look, I, I have to be honest. I wasn't super concerned because of the fact that we were able to win ugly. We were winning on defence. And to me, defence is such a great foundation. However, last night you had a game which was in this run down to the finals. Because we're now talking into the run down to the finals where you want to see teams start to lift. This was a game where we had that opportunity mm -hmm. to lift a bit in intensity, to show that we had something more. Instead, as we've talked about, we've gone the complete opposite, which was there was nothing that we could take out of that game whatsoever that was a positive. Even when we were having the those uh, the funk of the games that weren't quite played as it should be, we still had we were still producing something. Be it uh, the shutout of the storm, be it the scramble, be it the keeping our composure to win by two points against the the dogs and and uh, against the sharks. You couldn't find anything about last night where you could go. Well, there's this. No, nothing. I mean, my my it literal wasn't real step backwards. There, there were two individual performances I think that were encouraging, and that was Dylan Brown was sensational, and 
uh, Ray Stone was once again really tidy at dummy half, and that was it. As a team, there was nothing salvageable there, was there? Well, see, I have to, I have to counter the Dylan Brown by saying we might be without him. Yeah, and that's, so, that, that know, is we something we now, we, we now have a, a very nervous wait about. Uh, and for those that missed it in the press conference, Brad cleared Dylan of syndesmosis, which is that dreaded you know injury that is sort of nebulous. It could be two weeks, it could be 12 weeks. But he did intimate that there was damage at the base of the ankle, which could be anything from a, you know, a heavy ankle sprain at the base to uh, an Achilles issue. So we wait uh, nervously on scans for that. And yeah, knowing our luck, it would be closer to the two or three month uh, sort of barrier than it would be to two or three weeks, wouldn't it? It'd be, it'd well, be mate, a real you, capper. When we spoke a little bit earlier, you said that in, in your uh, layman's opinion, watching Dylan stretch out, as he did in the chase on uh, yeah, if uh, if he did have on, a partial uh, Achilles Campbell Graham. on Campbell Graham, if he did have a partial Achilles tear in that initial tackle, I don't think he would have been able to stretch out like he did to gun down Graham. Um, I think, yeah. he, and if if it was a full blown Achilles pop, they would have known because that thing is when it, when an Achilles goes, not only is there a very noticeable sound, the actual tendon rolls up in the back of your leg. It's um pretty gruesome. Um, so yeah, so that's what we're waiting for now, which is really scary because he was by far and away our best player on the park last night. And and, uh, and just for the listeners, uh, Forty does know something about Achilles. Yeah, I had, had the bilateral Achilles correction uh, going back a couple of years because I, I was a very aggressive toe walker as a young kid. I had um, short Achilles and it led to even shorter Achilles. So that got done a few years back and it was um good fun learning to how to walk again, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so really hope that Dylan's not out for a long time because he was just starting to hit stride again. He was obviously awesome against Cronulla. Um, wasn't as wasn't as um organised against Melbourne, I don't think. But last night he was by far and away the only player that was. I mean, I think Madison was pretty solid, but as a consistent threat, he was the only one that was challenging South Sydney. Yeah, yeah. So just back on to the headspace, mate. Yeah. If you've got a if you've got a team that is lacking intensity like they did last night. There's a, obviously there's worrying signs about that. There's also worrying. Uh, it's also worrying about the impact that that would have going forward to lose a game like that. Now the taking the opposite tact on that, you could say, well, this is the big wake up call, the massive wake up call. You could say, this is the game that is just one of those games I think this is the tough road, the tough uh, tight uh, tightrope walk that BA and the coaches have to walk this week is to uh, how to set the team right in their headspace because no doubt we've got positional issues and we will get on to the, talking about that. But you cannot write off a performance like that on the performance of a couple of players out wide because... The funk started in the middle last night and it spread across the entire Eels lineup. And I think we have to look at where they are at in their heads as the first point of call. And then how do coaches fix that within a week? Is it that scenario where the team is purely embarrassed? And we also have to deal with the fact that, and this is, it's a strange way of looking at it. We've got a 10-day turnaround. Teams not only like to have a quick turnaround to correct a bad performance. And How does a 10-day turnaround work? In and unfortunately, regard? we didn't come out of our last 10-day turnaround this year uh, looking too flash as well. So, yeah, this is difficult because I think the loss against Manly could be written off as we had a lot of injuries that week. We've gone, you know, we've been riding real high for a long time. Fair enough. The loss against the Dragons is something that you could probably write off as the loss that we had to have or the wake-up call loss. But it seems like they didn't wake up. Here we are two weeks later, and we had that nice win against the Melbourne Storm, but they did not learn the lessons. They do not respect possession. They aren't willing to roll up their sleeves and build their way into a game. And that's something that Brad um, spoke about in the post-match presser, is that we aren't willing to grind our way to victories anymore. And I don't know what's changed, but it feels like we've almost gotten to our own heads in that desperation to fix our offense on the field that we aren't willing to chase the ball. Our off-the-ball work was very sloppy last night. A number of kick chases were not only subpar, but you know, almost highlight reel-worthy for South Sydney. We had that one Latrell uh, goal escape where he not only got out of the in goals, but bumped off about five guys and got South Sydney out to the 50-meter line. 
And then I think part of this needs to be levied at the um, at the spine, more so Reed and probably uh, Mitchell Moses, who are the two dominant kickers there. We aren't willing to back our kick and our kick chase and, and grind our way back on that. And it sort of puts us in a hole because then we go, all right, we've, we've made a couple of meters forwards. Let's spin the ball wide. And we end up turning the ball over. And it just it digs a hole for us even more. It's so frustrating. We had a couple of opportunities at the back end of last year uh, as when the season was over to have a bit of a chat with Brad about what had transpired in the previous season. And he spoke about that willingness to front up the next week and put the previous week behind and treat each match on its merits to get into the the grind of a football game, to lay that platform, to not come out and think it's if we've had an easy win the week before that everything was just going to happen without hard work. And for probably the first 10 rounds of this year, that was very much what we Absolutely. were Absolutely. We, we took the one and our approach every week. We turned up. We earned the right to attack. We earned the right to sort of compete on the back of our defense. And there was no shock that we had the record that we had. But the yeah, moment, even even that loss against the Roosters. Yes, yeah, uh, yes, we. That we, was one of the high quality games. It was one of the game year. of the year and game of the year contenders. And the loss was came on the back of I know the that has sort of taken ascendancy from us on the back of Luke Curie uh, attacking down a right edge. But the loss got blown out because Michael Jennings was simbin. So there was at yep. least an understanding as to why the score got the double digits away from us because we played a fantastic hand. But the Roosters showed us not only were they with you know one of the teams of the competition as back-to-back premiers, like who would have thought? What a shock. But yeah, it gave us a, a benchmark to aim up against. But not well, not since then. I'd say, I'd go so far as to say as the Newcastle game was where the offensive star started, started to creep in, but the defense was still great that day. So I'll, that would be the last game I was willing to give the clean pass mark to because obviously Mitchell Moses was out as well. And just since then, we have not been able to find out who we are. We, we sort of lost ourselves. And we've gone away from the football that makes us such a dominant team when we're doing the right things. Yeah, and I'm going to say quite categorically that what we were building this season on was that strong platform within the middle where we were punishing teams. Make no mistake, there was there yeah. were times... Teams could not back up after playing they us. They could not. That, that, that's it. The week after the Parramatta were playing teams... Those teams were obviously playing sore the next week because their intensity would, was down. It was hard for them to lift in the following weeks. We know that there was a physical toll out of playing Parramatta and the way the Parramatta forwards were playing. Now, fast forward to what we've seen in recent weeks, and but more so last night, you had a team that not only were soft in defence and and they could show these the Eels teams uh, in the video review any number of highlights or whole games from earlier in the season and what we were delivering and then compare it to what we delivered last night and the players, it wouldn't take much for, for them to realise the difference in what they produced. Yeah, and that's that's why I don't buy it I mean, I've seen out on social media and, and there's been a few conversations here and there that, you know, it's a coaching issue and whatnot. And I mean, I'm not going to say that the coaches couldn't do a better job because, you know, strategically and tactically, there's always things that you can aim up for. And I'm sure that Brad would be the first to say that he has areas he want to have revisited with the benefit of um, hindsight from the last couple of weeks. But given that our systems were just fine for the like the majority of the season, it's an attitude and application thing. And the, the boys, I don't know if they're fatigued because like you said, it's been a long season and it's hard to stay at your peak, but they're just not doing the fundamental stuff that was going right or going right because they were doing it right earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at that as a major deficiency that's come in in recent weeks. So the the systems were still working, but the pain element has been removed from what we were delivering. And... I spoke before and said that the players weren't on the same page last night. Forget about the same page. They're not reading from the same book. No, we had... Let alone the same page. Two, two tries taken away because of players being incorrectly positioned in support, which meant that Dylan Brown's sensational solo effort got taken away because Quinton Gufferson was ahead and on the inside blocking a cover tackler. 
And then probably even more embarrassing, Sean Lane passes the ball to Ryan Madison, stays ahead of him, and Maddo cuts back inside. And in like in a rugby union sense, that would be an immediate scrum because an accidental offside like that. But um, Madison ends up running into Lane and then scores a try, but it gets taken away correctly because Lane was impeding a defensive player. And oh, they were they were the they were the easiest video ref. Yeah, I mean, calls I, and I, I sure hope there was no ref blaming from fans last night because, as I said to a couple of mates online. Uh, uh, the ref was it Cummings or Sutton? Sutton could have spotted Sutton. could have spotted half of South Sydney's points last night, and I would not have complained because it were that bad on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and yeah. We, we, I mean we've spoken about this before. I don't know what's going on, but Sean Lane has been out of position a number of times offensively. He's just he's cutting off Dylan Brown's passing windows. He's forcing him to to tuck the ball and run at times, and he took away a crucial try uh, a couple of weeks ago because he was out of position against the Dragons, yeah. I believe. Yeah. It's just yeah. that that is mental. That is whether it's fatigue or laziness or sloppiness. You need to be a well-oiled machine. You've got to be in the right place at the right time every time. The moment that you start slacking and slipping is how games unravel and get away from you. That's where I was heading along the the this path of players not being on the same page. Where there's clunky and then there's yeah. like next level clunky, which is what we're at. And we're just not there. We weren't just there in attack last night. Oh, the, the we shock line in defense. In, in, yeah. Oh, it just was dreadful. That was, yeah. And the number of times that we saw players charging out of the line and taking nobody. Now, there's what, always the occasional time me. each. There, there's always an occasional time in, in a match where you will see someone like Nathan Brown charge out yeah, as, as a state as a statement pressure. effort that's right that's different yeah. I, yes. I will die on this hill i i know that centers and wingers shooting is the bane of a lot of fans but i will die on the hill that i can cop that as long as they yeah. make contact and and wrap up the guy they're shooting on and that yeah. is something that both especially wonga blake but also mike acevo they will shoot and not take anyone or not wrap up anyone and that kills me Fair enough if you're going to shoot and, and try and shut down the overlap, but you've got to take your man. And the amount of times, and this is this is where I get so so fired up because I would rather defend with 12 men than have 13 men on the field on the field and deal with what we're dealing with because when one man blows his assignment so consistently as what Wong has been doing on the right edge, it, it, it absolutely cripples your defensive line because at least with 12 men tackling and doing their job, you know that everyone's going to do their job. When that 13th man is there but not doing his job, that's a weak link in the chain, and it's worse than having a 12-link chain, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I do have my theories about the change or changes that have to be made this week. Yeah, which we, we'll, we'll get to. And I, I don't want to light up individuals too much because, yes, Wanga Blake has struggled in defense, and, yes, Micah has been up and down on both sides of the ball. At least last night he got through a good work rate. I think he had uh, 17 runs for 160, 170 metres. And he um, won a crucial, well, not a crucial, but won a big penalty, which was a terrible call at the time. I have no idea how that was ruled a penalty on the goal line for taking out the um, opposition winger. That was, I don't, like, like, can we speak about that for one, just one second? Like, what was that? <laughs> like, he was clearly competing for the ball. Yeah. And that, that was up yeah. there with when he got penalised for literally tackling uh, Jared Croker too hard in Golden Point. And um, yeah. that was un- unreviewable, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah. so we, the, yes, there are individual issues, and and we spoke about that, and we'll get to it more in the future. But gosh, th- this is a, a team wide issue. This is just on multiple levels. At, in attack, we're so impatient. Um, we will we will beat teams through the middle, but then we go sideways to the sideline straight away instead of using our centers and back rolls to hit that interior part of the edge, and you know make the defensive uh, line have to respect the ability to hammer that corridor before going wide. We just go wide and get bundled to touch. And then the moment that that fails, we start offloading, like almost to the point of panicked offloading, like no structure, let's just fling the ball out and see what we can do. Yeah. You know, here's a stat that I heard this morning, and it's an interesting stat considering last week. Last week was something like the first time in six seasons that the storm had been kept scoreless yep. in a match by since uh, 2014 by I believe opponent. yeah the dogs yes. last night was the first time in six years that south have held an opponent scoreless <laughs> there was an even better stat on fox sports last night which suggests that Parramatta should never ever go for the shutout 
because um, I, I don't know if it was coming into last night or on the back of last night. So we're either 0-3 or 0-4 the week after a shutout. So whenever we, we um, shut down opposition one week, we do not back it up the following week. And that's just, Well, is that an example of the players getting ahead of themselves? Yeah, perhaps. Um, and it's really frustrating because, like you said, for the the majority of the season, we we taken that championship approach, one and zero every week, attack each game on its own merits, respect each opponent on their own strengths and weaknesses, and for some reason that's been thrown out of the kitchen sink. I'm going to throw a question to you. Yeah, hit me with it. In the in the last uh, few weeks, there's been a consistent thread amongst supporters, and I think it's been fed to an extent by the media, but it's certainly been there with supporters and the media. Mm-hmm which uh, related to Parramatta's attack and that we needed to offer a lot more in attack. Now, I'm not necessarily going to argue with that. However, we had been winning games and winning games on the back of defence. And BA talked about how strong the defence was. I'm wondering whether some of that had got into the heads of the players. I think there is a very legitimate argument for that. And I think that between that yeah. and, and getting to their own heads about the issues, they've sort of overcomplicated things. And that's why I've been screaming for us to simplify. And that's why I want us to hammer it up the middle, then use Madison and Lane on the edges. Just keep it simple. Just play yes. You know, there's a old adage, because I played a lot of rugby union growing up, is that rugby league is a simple game played by simple people. Rugby union is a complex game played by wankers. And yeah. <laughs> in the end, as much as... Yeah, see all these incredible attacking shapes and, and yes, you can have these block for blocks, these chips, these outside inside plays, these, all these different structures that you drop. You know, you get your four men out wide and, and you, you play a double on the center and all these different, you know, attacking concepts. At the end of the day, when you run harder, you tackle harder and you play harder, you're going to win the majority of your games. And that's just gone from our, not just the game plan, but from our approach. Yeah, it's, first of all, I, have, I do have a question. Are you saying you used to be a wanker? Uh, I mean, I can neither confirm nor deny these allegations. I may or may not have captained my um, high school team for a number of years. And even worse, I started off as a hooker and ended up as a 5'8". So um, go figure out how that happened playing rugby union. <laughs> well, I was, only a, I was only a wanker for a few years myself playing rugby union. But uh, no, I completely agree about the best way to play rugby league, which is really to get the foundations right and to get those simplistic approaches yeah. done. And that's well. that's why all the great coaches hammer the effort areas. That's why yeah. your line speed, your kick chase, your like just your straight up uh, hit up speed, your approach to tackling, they're all so important because that while those awesome attacking shapes happen once or twice a game, you make three or four hundred tackles a game. You make, you know, uh, I don't know how many runs would be off the top of like, off the top of my head for a certain game, but you know, in the hundreds for runs. You're, you're talking yeah. about the, the areas that shape every set rather than the plays that shape once or twice a game. And this is where Parramatta have been losing not just the war, but each individual battle for the last couple of weeks. Well, I still look at the fact that I would much rather take a 12-10 win or a 16-14 win than a 28-26 yeah, loss uh, or every, something like every that. Every day of the week, I, I am with yeah. you. The, the foundation must always be defence. And I think last night was an example where the players were thinking, uh, well, no, I can't I can't jump ahead and say this is what the players were thinking. But it seemed like from the outset that we wanted to make an attacking statement, but we weren't prepared to back it up with any sort of defensive effort. And as soon as you remove the defensive effort, you make the attacking statement absolutely impossible because the moment that we dropped that ball and South got the easy try. From then on, territorially, they were all over us. Oh, Adam, Reynolds, Adam Reynolds just uh, went to town on us. Now, I have in the run sheet that we were going to talk about South and their performance, and I do want to highlight Adam Reynolds because it became obvious within that first 20 minutes that he was there to control the match and I thought he was absolutely superb his kicking game just absolutely obliterated us and, and that, that, that was a was sort of chalk and cheese that was a sort of effort we were seeing from Mitchell Moses in the first half of the season prior to that calf injury and since then he hasn't been able to hit those same peaks and I don't know if the calf injury is still plaguing him 
or if it's just a lack oh, look, of let's let's just let's just get it out in the open that yes he's obviously still hampered by the calf injury he hasn't he's he hasn't been able to take on the line like he and, but it's like it's more of, I don't know if the injury is physically hampering him enough or it's the loss of tempo and and rhythm that he had from that run where he was going really well and then he's out for a month and hasn't been able to find that same uh, level of play but he is not yeah. he's not who we need him to be at the moment isn't he that that look that's definitely the case but I still come back last night to say that the job that Adam Reynolds was doing was, was, was made easier. And, and it was made easier by the fact that his forwards were laying the platform. They were winning the middle. They were getting the territory. We weren't able to put his kicks under any pressure whatsoever. Nope. He was pinpoint accurate whether he was going for a, a low, hard kick into the corners, whether he was putting the ball up high, whether it was just a straight-out territory kick. Whatever the case was, he was able to put it exactly where he wanted that ball to go and uh, we we just weren't competing in that regard. And again, it comes back to the fact that we weren't doing what we needed to do in the middle. We weren't doing what we needed to do in defence. And a halfback that's playing behind a pack that is doing the right things is always going to look a hell of a lot better <laughs> not wrong. than his opposition. <laughs> yeah, not wrong. Um... But yeah, And let's face it, if you looked at that performance last night, you'd go... Oh, Adam Reynolds is, is an origin halfback. If you looked at that performance last night, you'd go, South Sydney are title contenders. And I'm not going to suggest that they're not title contenders. But what I will suggest is that we made them look a hell of a lot better than probably than what they are. And I'm still going to give them credit because that was a superb game plan. It was superbly executed. And... Again, I'm going to come back to the difference between earlier this year and what we saw last night, where earlier this year, there were players in teams that were gun-shy to run at us with the defence and the defensive pain that we were inflicting on teams. Last night, Souths were laughing. South players were demanding the ball. They They were literally lining up. Yep, they were queuing up. Yep, and that is a team wide issue before we even talk about individual performances and whether we'd make changes that was a team wide issue and I keep coming back to the fact that there is something wrong in the headspace for a team wide issue to happen last night and whether we can make it a one off uh, performance where uh, we won't hit those depths again is going to be determined within the next 10 days I do not disagree. This is a very important mini buy for Parramatta. It's going to be a bit of soul searching. Um, you know, maybe they so, get, maybe they need to get away from the football. I don't know. This is why. So, shall we get to the elephant in the room, which is yeah, so change, potential changes. Brad Arthur has backed his boys full tilt for sixteen rounds, and for the majority of the season, they've repaid the faith. But in saying that, I don't think you can have a performance like we had last night and not make a few changes. And it does, it does need to be said that the fact that there is no reserve grade has handicapped every coach in the NRL in this capacity. It's very hard to drop an out-of-form player when there isn't a you know game-ready, in-form guy coming up from Reggie's. Fortunately for Parramatta, they've got a couple of guys that can probably do the job. Um, so let's get to who you would drop before we get to who you'd replace him with. Who's on the block for you, mate? Okay. As you just went through there, this season is a hell of a lot more challenging in terms of who do you take a punt on? You can have players who are in form in reserve grade and that makes it easier for you to... Yeah, when, when, when you've got a hot hand bring at, them in. in the Reggies, it makes it so much easier to drop someone or maybe just give one, not even drop him, but give someone off a week off to just get their head right. But when, yeah. when you haven't got Reggies, it's scary, especially when there's no match fit guys. So one of the things that you get in most seasons is if you've got a player that's not performing well in first grade and you're looking at reserve grade, if you've got no one that's in their position that's performing well, the usual response you'd give is, look, under normal circumstances, I'd drop player X, but I've got nobody in his position performing well in Reggie's, so he probably gets to keep his spot. (laughs) Now, I with the problems that we have with no Reggie's occurring at all 
this year, he might be tempted to say that. But I don't think, as you said just a moment ago, that you can have a performance like that and have zero changes. I think it's likely that there might be zero changes, but I don't think that it should be. So I'm going straight on the record and saying there has to be a change. Now, here's where I think we can write certain aspects off as we'll hope that certain aspects are a one of those games, and that's with the forwards. I'd like to think that the performance of the pack is going to be just one of those games and that they will be embarrassed into lifting their performance next week. However, the performance of the forwards, which, as I said, I believe is was a big part of the root of the problem last night, that's a fix in their headspace, and I think they can do that. Some of the issues out wide, that's, that's not a headspace issue. That is an ongoing issue. It's and been I think consistent enough across the course be... of the 2020 season, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So here's, here's what I would do. And I've got a controversial thought in amongst it. Oh, spicy. Okay. I would remove Wonga Blake from his centre position. I would replace him with Brad Takarangi. Mm -hmm. I would then remove Mike Acevo and I would put Wonga Blake in Mike Acevo's wing place. That is spicy. Now, here's my justification. Brad Takarangi is a player who is a fairly good communicator out on the field. And I believe that he would work well alongside Blake Ferguson. Blake Ferguson is attracting plenty of attention for his form, which I believe is being, the problems are being amplified by Wonga Blake's inability to read the fence. Yeah, I think that is a, a very valid point. Um, Fergo's getting left posted out wide, isn't he? Yeah. And the systems that I that they work on at training are not being replicated. Yeah, translated in the to game day. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just not happening. So if you have a player who who consistently cannot deliver what he's been trained to deliver in defense and that is the, the reading of defence and the movements in defence. And I think he was only credited with something like four missed tackles last night. You can't get a missed tackle if you don't make contact, baby. Co correct. That's where I was heading. So there are problems that are being created around him on the inside and the outside because of the reads that he's making or failing to make. But I believe that his carries are something from the backfield that I don't believe that Micah has produced this year. And I believe that Wonga Blake is a winger. I believe that he's got the build of a winger. I believe that he's got the backfield carries of a winger. I believe that he's got the pace of a winger. So I'm afraid that what I am seeing from Micah, although there was an improved effort in his carries and his meters and his uh, uh, his willingness to contest the kicks either in offense or defense, his reads in defense were just as poor as Wonga Blake's. Yeah, well, the number of times last night that he was charging second, in field. The, the charging in field, once again, I will wear, even though the, the, the reads weren't great there, the most egregious one for me was that second try where Michael Jennings clearly had his opposite center. And then yes. Micah just put him, he literally put himself into no man's land. All yep. he had to do was just go one to one, man to man, and he bundles his opposite over into touch. Jackson Paulo, I think it was. And instead, yep. you know, he gives Jackson Paulo four or five meters, and Paulo says, okay, I'll score my maiden NRL try. Thank you very much. Well, my read of that, and yeah, that was absolutely atrocious as a, as a read. But the, my take on the on his jamming in is that almost every one of his jams seemed to take him into no man's land. Yeah, that's how fair. often do you see him? He's going for the jam in, and then he's trying to do that 
turn around and chase back because he's got it all so completely yep. wrong. And his arms are out. He's trying to get his big body turned Wrecking around and going in, the, in reverse. It's, um, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I think, and I'm not giving up on Micah as a winger, as an NRL winger, but I think we need to make a change. And because the only other option is bringing in an inexperienced player like Hayes Dunster, and I believe Hayes has a future as a first-grade player, I don't think bringing him in onto the wing, if you are... I don't think we can avoid a change with Wonga Blake, uh, but Hayes isn't a centre. I The option in uh, Reggie's is Jamin Salmon, and he just hasn't had the game time. That, that's what that, that's what cripples you, isn't it? Because he should, you know, by all rights, be right in the contest for it. But without yeah. a game under his belt, it is so hard to pick him cold. And would would bringing Jamin in into that centre position that Wanga Blake is in, when Jamin not only has he not played this year, he has limited experience as an NRL centre, yeah. like basically none. And you'd be expecting him to make the defensive decisions that we are uh, that we are expecting will be corrected. That he will correct the errors that we're making in defence when he's not proven as a defensive centre in the NRL. I think you can just about put a line through that. So my call on it is the simplest way of doing it is bring in your most experienced NRL centre, which is Brad Takarangi and fix up the problem with Mike Acevo by putting someone who I believe is more of a winger than a centre over onto Mike's side. And if you're not willing to put uh, Wunga Blake on the wing in Mike's position, then Mike stays there, and the only change that you make is bringing Brad Takarangi in, you straight out just drop uh, Wunga Blake. What's yeah. your thoughts, mate? I, I'm on the, the sort of the bandwagon where I think that if I was a head coach... I'd give Wonger at least a week off. Just like let him get his head reset and just step away from the, you know, the, the game day prep and refocus because whatever his headspace is, and that's been a word we've used a lot today because it's been so dominant in our, our gameplay, is whatever his headspace is, it's not right. Um, and wherever you get, you know, you end up repurposing him as a winger, I don't mind. But I think that I would have him out for at least a week. Maybe two, depends on, you know, what you see off the field. That's why the coaches get paid the big, or relatively speaking, the big dollars. Um, with Mike, I'm torn because I, I do appreciate the uptick in effort when it comes to offensive production and contesting the high balls. And that, that isn't lost on me. And that was obviously an important directive after that Cronulla game where he just got so gun shy under the high ball that it was crippling his ability to you know do anything almost. But yeah, like you said, if, if you drop him, it gets a little bit tricky. Um, I'm, I'm not against throwing Hayes Dunster out there. I feel like Michael Jennings is the ideal center to nurture a rookie winger if you're going to have anyone do it. Um, the other name that we could maybe put out there is Jordan Rankin. Um, you know, he's been here for a while now, and if it comes to, you know, need to fill the wing for a week or two, I suppose you could do the job. It's tough, though. Um, I, I think that Mike is another one that could benefit from a week or two. Just, yes, he's getting dropped, but it's more just to clear his head. Um, I think that there's a couple of players that are just the air inside their own heads now, and they just need to step away and when you have a proper bye week, you can do those sort of things. And when you have Reggie's, you can do those sort of things because you could be dropping someone and putting them in. Um, and I suppose the other one that it's not a viable option this week, but George Jennings could have done the job, I suppose, on the left wing. So he would have been pretty handy to have in the roster. Um, yes. There's two other changes that I will talk about. Um, can I just, just before you do, Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Rankin. I believe that he is an option should we lose Dylan Brown for a well, week? Well, that's, that's where I was going to go, is that there are two other changes that one will be un, like unforced, one could potentially be enforced, which is the Dylan Brown. So if Dylan goes down, the media's already thrown out Jay Field. Um, Jamin Salmon obviously can play 5-8. Brad Takarangi could play 5-8, but we've already got him penciled in for the right centre spot. So who would you go with? Would it be Jordan Rankin or would you go with Field? I'm thinking that they might be tempted with Jordan Rankin. I've got 
no problems with what he's been producing at training. I think he's settled in well. He's looks like he's got a very calm head on his shoulders. I mean, so he's, he's a worldly player now, isn't he? He's no NRL rook. He's been in the ESL. He's been in the NRL a couple of times. He's been around, so he knows he's his way on the football. He's, he's definitely not a winger now. So I'd take I'd take that right out of the equation. He's he's more around the spine, so he's fitted in around the halves and at fullback and those sorts of positions in training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had Jamin Salmon has been training more so out in the centres. So I'd be I'd be thinking if you were looking at making a change, the force change around Dylan Brown, the contenders are Jay Field and Jordan and Rankin. Jordan Rankins. Yeah, I'm not including Will Smith in there because I think they'd look at him from a fullback perspective yeah. rather than in the halves. And I think I'd yeah, I think it's to even money bet as to wow, which one of those two I know that you... or they might they might just they might just go for uh what they did last night and Madison shove into... Madison there. Yeah. I mean he 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 is a player that you do want to get his hands on the ball. And yeah. even as a ball distributor, the ability to just tuck and run is so threatening to a defensive line. So I'm not yeah. I'm not against that, but that I wouldn't do that because of the other change I would propose. And you said that you yeah. wouldn't touch the forward pack, but there is one player I think that getting on that theme of headspace could maybe either use time off or more likely time on the bench, and that's Sean Lane. I think that he's been out of sync, out of time so much lately that maybe throwing Andrew Davey onto that left edge might be an option. It's, it's an interesting call, mate. It's... It's one where I think it's unlikely, but I don't disagree with your thought processes there. But yeah, that, that, that's where <laughs> oh, we're at. I, I, where, you know, it's been that sort of week. It's a bit of soul searching. You know, you sort of scratch around looking for answers. You want to make changes, but you don't want to make wholesale changes because of the context of the season. No reserve grade means you can't make more than one or two changes because you're risking a lot. You know, I'm yeah. exposing guys that aren't match fit, exposing guys that aren't you know, game ready when it comes to reading the play and, and knowing the systems, or not knowing the systems, but being able to execute the systems. Now I'm gonna so I'm gonna change the question around a little bit just yeah, before yeah. we look just before we look ahead to the Warriors game because we normally have a bit of a, a chat about what we can expect for Team List Tuesday. So make your call, mate. Uh one change, two change, no changes. What do you think? And uh, we'll ignore that. We'll ignore maybe a force change. Like yeah. So scratch out Dylan the Dylan Brown, Brown change because that that and, is up to the scans. And Murata coming back in. Yeah. So Murata comes back in, which I suppose could be an option on the edge too if you're going to play the um, Sean Lane to the bench card. But that would yep. be unlikely in the wake of what we just spoke about with the the issues of making wholesale changes. Yeah. I think Wanga Boy. There is no way Wanga Blake lines up a right centre next week. Um, I think he'll be put on ice one way or another for Brad Takarangi. The question is, do I think Mike Acevo plays? Oh, this is tough. I'm going to say Micah does play. Okay. So I'll go with the one unforced change. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that the likelihood of zero change is for 50-50 call. I... I, I don't that... think I'd see I agree that you're probably right about it being a 50 50 if I'm Brad and once again we don't have all the access to the information and there is a lot of information we don't have access to access to as fans I don't think you can stay the course after what happened last night no and that's and let's also say that we're making these calls as supporters oh, not yeah, as this is coaches pure, or what purely have you. from outside in the you know this is our uninformed amateur opinions <laughs> so that's why we make we make those qualifying statements because we say this and even though we, we try and be objective there is an element of hot take to it because like I said as a fan you only get access to a, a bare minimum of the information that goes into what you know goes through a selection process there is so much yeah. stuff that obviously you're party to a lot of it at training in terms of looking at it but even then behind closed doors there's even more stuff that you have no idea about that's oh, the nature of, of a professional sporting you know club <clears throat> is that there is so many things on and off the field that we are not privy to that go into building a team. And that's why yes. selection is so difficult. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm calling, if I'm the coach, 
I make the change that I suggested, which is bang bang Takarangi into yep. the centres and Wanga to and, left wing and Wanga to left wing. If I'm Brad Arthur and I'm thinking along, I'd be thinking along your lines, which is that you'd leave Sivo there rather than shifting Wanga Blake over there and that it's a straight out. Uh, just tack her in for Wonga. Tack her in for Wonga. And Wonga but I also nice. think, But I also think it's, uh, as far as being able to predict whether VA will do that, I'd suggest it's a 50-50 call. I don't think that's As to whether he makes that call. change. Yeah. yeah. But definitely that would be the path that I would walk down, which is Tacker has to come into the centres over on that side because we need a change in that side. And it's all very well to suggest a whole raft of changes that supporters are no doubt going to be suggesting and they drop this person, they drop that person, they bring up this person, they bring up that person. They've got no form to go on. And I think it's easier, it's far easier said than done. And I think we will go down the path where players have done the job in the past and there will be minimal changes because the last thing they want in the rundown to the finals is a large number of changes. But I also think that you cannot ignore the problem that's out there on that right-hand side. Mm -hmm. And there is only one way to fix it, which is to make a change. Exactly. So Teamless Tuesday, very interesting. Um, but yep. Like like uh, 60 said, don't expect wholesale changes. We're looking for that one or two. Now, you mentioned the New Zealand Warriors. Uh, they've got their game in hand this week, obviously, against Newcastle tomorrow at 3 o'clock. But on the season, 15 games played, 6 wins, 9 losses. They've been plucky. They've been competitive. And the way we're playing, they're going to push us. Yeah, the I'm going back to if we get a win on the board that it'll be a narrow win I think there's yeah, no I don't, I don't think it's going to be a that. statement victory in terms of blowing them out offensively I think we just get no. back to gritty plucky football ourselves and we'll grind out a two or three try you know not differential but two or three tries scored by us to one or two tries scored by the opposition if we're getting that W yeah and I'm going to come back to the sort of play that we had where we got wins over, for example, the wins that we had over the Titans and the Broncos earlier in this season. Now, I'm picking a couple of teams that haven't had the best form, and certainly in the case of the Titans, that wasn't their best form earlier in the season. However, we were prepared to go into the grind, and then the points simply came because we applied that much pressure that we wore out their capacity to defend for 80 minutes. I don't, and obviously then the better teams are going to stay in the contest longer when you're in the grind with them like that. I don't think we are a team that is going to put big points on an opposition unless we've done an absolute number on them in defence. And we need to get back to that this week. And if we win by two points where we rediscovered that defensive power or if we win by 20 points on the back of that defensive power the key word there is defense and we have to get back to it yeah i have to agree with you 100 percent here because going back to what brad said in the post-match press conference his frustration and he was visibly frustrated as you'd understand when you get blown out 38 nil uh, his frustration at the fact that Parramatta weren't willing to build their way into a game and that's exactly what you spoke to some of our best victories, some of our biggest blowout victories have come on the back of not, you know, kicking down the door in the first 10 minutes, but building and building and building that pressure and going into halftime at 12-6. And then in the second half, the valves just get blown out because you've been grinding and you've been wearing away, you've been chipping away, and all of a sudden, you know, just everything becomes dislodged and, and everything's loose and you can put three, four, five tries on. And yes, That's be, what you call an earned victory. It, exactly. And while it'd be fantastic to do that against the Warriors, like you said, I tend to think that if we're going to win, it's going to be that closer, almost single-digit point of um, uh, margin of victory. So, yeah, I'd love to see us go out there and, and do that job and, and say, you know, we're going to complete it 85%, and we're going to go out there and we're going to kick to the corners. We're going to nail our off-the-ball work. We're going to you know get that kick chase right down the throat, and we're going to strangle the Warriors. And then... They're going to fall apart under that pressure. 
but I'll take anything that resembles a building block at this point. Yeah, and just before we finish off today's pod, I just want to quickly talk about something that I witnessed last night that absolutely disgusted me as a supporter, which is booing the team off. Now, there was no doubt that it was a subpar performance, one that the supporters didn't deserve. However, unless you are performing in a consistently bad way where you are not putting in any sort of effort, I'm not one for booing the team off. You've got a team there that, in spite of last night's bad performance, has still so far delivered a 12-4 and season. And I don't believe that any team deserves to be booed off like they were last night. Uh, to me, that's just not on. We were the home team that's there. I'm one for wherever possible to stay there to the end. I'm not going to necessarily clap them off, but I'm not going to be booing my team off. I'm a, I regard, I don't regard that as supporting a team. If, if this was part of a 4-12 season and they and they were like that, I might be more inclined to understand supporters doing that. I think it's all very well to be critical, but I think there's a line between being critical and not being a supporter. And I think there's some people that cross that in their social media comments. I think there's people... Uh, and look, I was one of the first... I, I had no dramas in describing last night's uh, performance as insipid. You wouldn't be a, a football follower to not call that out for <laughs> what it was. But at times like this, the team needs the supporters to stay strong with them to help them in the bounce back. And I don't know that booing the team off is demonstrating any level of support. Yeah, don't clap, but you know, booing, I've... It's, I, it's I sort of it, 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 it piles it piles on the misery to a, a team that would be fully aware that they're blowing it. And there, yeah. there is no way the Eels would have entered the Sheds a hard time not knowing that they've absolutely butchered that first half. And yeah, it certainly doesn't help. It's hey, um, I laugh, I laugh when supporters of other teams boo their team yeah, off it, it, it's because a, I think it's a boost well, for what a position us. There is. Exactly. Yeah. So I I just wanted to get that off my chest because. I, when I was sitting there last night, I was really uncomfortable with that. There was people in the crowd that were yelling out comments for different players. And I'm thinking to Always myself... Always a colourful experience. <laughs> yeah, but if I'm a... And I, look, I know it goes with the territory. I'm not, you know, sitting there all, you know, this is rainbows and ice cream and it's isn't this no, a nice, lovely place, the game of football. There's but, obviously significant issues at play here, which is why we've spent what looking at the recording, the last 58 minutes, speaking about where it's gone wrong, both on a micro level for round 16 and on a macro level for the last two months. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, the last thing that's going to get players motivated, I'm sure, is having supporters booing them or, or yelling out at them to get off the field and pull the finger out or whatever more, more colourful things I was hearing supporters yelling at individual players and with the crowd size like it was last night, don't worry, the players would have been hearing some of the comments that were heading their mm. direction last night and I think the last thing you'd want between players and supporters is a disconnect and I'm not suggesting that supporters can't vent their disappointment but I don't think it helps to in the large numbers that booed last night because there were plenty of boos to be expressing that to the players as as it was, it's um, it was a little bit disappointing. Um, anyway, that's my rant on that. <laughs> yeah. So on that particular note, uh, we'll probably sign off here and look forward to those teamless Tuesday uh, assumed changes. But like you said, you can probably set the line at one change and don't be surprised if it's zero. Um, Mate, let's hope that we're able to be enjoying our podcast a little bit more last week because I, uh, I mean, next week. Because I will say this. It is cathartic to be able to speak about the game like this. 
um, and you know, and get out where we think it went wrong and, and where we can improve. But yeah, it's never fun to be there trying to break down a 38-point shutout when you have such a high bar set for this team and they obviously have a high bar set for themselves. And that, that's yeah. probably a point worth mentioning is that I think that no one would be more disappointed in the performance last night than the playing group. They would be that's right. absolutely, you know, I don't want to say mad, but so frustrated at themselves for allowing that to happen because they would have high yeah. standards for themselves and they would be thinking premiership. And, you know, this, this is a, now this is the big challenge for them is to get their headspace right. And if they need to do some soul searching, and need to step away. And it's hard to step away because of the bubble. You can't go out and do the things that you would usually do when it comes to bonding and, and relaxing and being able to just put the footy on the back burner for a few days. So they've got to find the balance. It's hard. But this is a huge week for Parramatta Eels. And it's 10 days. Uh, and they're going to face New Zealand Warriors. And, you know, yes, it's a team they should beat. But as we've learned in the NRL, there are no easy games. So um, stay along for and the thankfully, ride. And thankfully for supporters, there's going to be plenty of content yeah, coming stay their along way for the from ride. the Cumberland throw. we got yep. um, all the breakdown stuff from the game, which you probably won't want to read, which I can respect. But Teamless Tuesday is going to be a big one. And then we're going to have a fantastic preview by goal. And there'll probably be some spot work here and there between myself and 60. So be sure to drop by. Be sure to say hello. And don't be afraid to call out the team's performance, but keep it critical and not stupid. So just um, follow those guidelines, guys, and have a great week. Cheers, mate. See ya.